This episode of A Gentleman's Cough Law Podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Shaving and Audible.com. You are listening to The Gentleman's Cough Law Podcast. Listener beware. Rise and shine, the liquor store is open. I ain't got time for moping. I best be on my way. Well, I still got time to save my reputation. Time to go day drinking. Good afternoon, Good everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Gentleman's Scoff Law Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Crowder, and co-hosting with me in person is Donovan Fowler, and joining us from the great white north is Johnny Boy. Freaking Hi, friends. Um, by the way, uh, our podcast, the podcast for the Revel and the Renaissance Man, in case this is your first time listening, if you are one of those two things, and this if, is the podcast for you. Yeah. And then we would also say, what took you so long? <laughs> and you if you're doing? not, one day you can be. Just keep listening. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I couldn't be better. I'm fantastic. Fantastic. I'm doing really well. It's it's hot up here in Glendale, it, it but you is. know, whatever. It is hot. Let's, this brings us to a little bit of housekeeping here. Why don't yeah. we crack these open? What are yeah. we drinking here, Donovan? We're drinking some uh, simpler times. Simpler times. Simpler times lager, which actually I was uh, I was at a party last night and uh, I brought this and the, the host was really nice. They had some great like, you know, craft ales and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I had about a cup of that, and then I went over the simpler times. So much better. <laughs> I was so, so much happier. So much happier with, with, uh, so with the simpler times Simpler times for a simple man. How about you, uh, uh, John? What do you got there? I have generic brand lime-flavored carbonated spring water. Again, Sexy. you uh, you lead a very uh, very. Uh, I, I lead a blessed life, life. a blessed life, <laughs> <laughs> and I am smoking my uh, Design Berlin uh, Black uh, Dublin Sandblasted Pipe, and in it I've got some Aristocrat. Aristocrat. And I'm letting it with my zip. What's the uh, What's the deal with Aristocrat? It's just a very pleasant, aromatic kind of nutty um, vanilla oh, yeah. tobacco. I, I picked that up, and it's from a little place in uh, in Plano, Texas, called uh, it's called this it's called the Cigar Lounge, but they have a lot of pipe stuff in there. Man, I gotta say, like to hell with candles, just smoking a pipe. It just yeah. it just really you know it, <laughs> yeah. the aromatics. Are, are Screw amazing. the essential oils. Why yeah. not just light tobacco in every room, right? Essential tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> well, how uh, were your guys's weeks? Oh, absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, John, Johnny, tell us what about happened? your week. What, what happened, happened with you in the Great White North? N- nothing special. I'm just happy to be alive and uh, with you fine fellows. <laughs> Why are we doing this? <laughs> oh, How about you, Donovan? It was uh, it was a good week. Um, I, uh, I went to uh, Camp Emerald Bay at, uh, over in Catalina island and uh hung out with the boy scouts down there doing some video work oh okay doing video work. <laughs> for a while you just said just hung out with the boy I scouts just, and i was like i was just I that think guy they have laws that prevent this i Donovan. was just that guy walking around like bigfoot um every once in a while you get a sighting but yeah shot some uh, 22s and some 12 gauge uh rounds i yeah. was actually hitting everything it was it was pretty crazy i was like 
because I, I don't think I, those 22s I haven't shot since I was actually in scout camp and uh, I had sunscreen in my eyes, but I, I, I brought together a pretty tight grouping. This it wasn't sounds that. pretty dangerous for you to have sunscreen oh, in your crazy, eyes. It's, it's so well. You're <laughs> sitting rifle to, like, around children. Over there. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. No children are around. Well, no children were around at the time. You're also sitting down like at a table with oh, like okay. a full setup. But um, but it was like really weird because back when I was a scout, you had to wait like 20 minutes because they'd have to give you the whole safety talk and everything. Whereas if you're like, you know, quasi staff or whatever, yeah. they just like, they're like, okay, take a seat and, uh, go ahead. Just you start know? going. I, I, uh, was in a commercial, an online commercial for Boy Scouts, uh, for they have this new Polaris, uh, uh, collaboration with the Boy Scouts where you could ride ATVs at some of the, some of their ranches. Mm-hmm. And so it was like these kind of instru- these comedic instructional videos. I was kind of the brunt of the joke in a lot of these things. But I actually got to ride like an ATV in it, but they were super serious about training me. And like normally it takes a whole day to train Those you, but I don't know how dangerous. we're going to well, we're going to give you guys a <laughs> short one. And they were like not happy that they were training actors to ride ATVs. Yeah. I knew a guy growing up who uh, broke his neck on one of those. Yeah, it's. I mean, my mom would never let me do anything with them, and I mean, I like, tell you though, it yeah. was a blast. We had drones floating around, and at one point they did some more crazy stuff, and we had like stunt stunt doubles, which were just other like uh, like le- like guys that worked at the camp. Tell us about your stunt double. Well, my, mine was a black guy. <laughs> <laughs> mine was a black guy. For those of you not watching, Jordan is not black. He's not black. I'm the whitest uh, person there is. But he, the thing is, you can't tell, right? Because you're wearing the helmets, the visors, the gloves. Like so, it, like it doesn't really matter. He was roughly the same size. ATVs don't see color, <laughs> and we're all drone shots, so they're all overhead shots. So he just basically only matched me in clothing, and everything else was was different. But uh, how about you, John? Anything? Uh, anything I, I was reading this week about the company that owns the salvage rights to the Titanic. Mm. It seems to be going bankrupt. Really? So they're yeah, and they're worried that once that Open happens, season. people are going to flock to the place, and uh, I guess those with submarines that could dive thousands of feet and start, <laughs> you know, pilfering whatever's oh. left, and uh, maybe even try to raise it from the all seabed. Those, all those all oh. those hobbyist submariners are going to be going down there taking <laughs> selfies. Where and Jack I think and James Rose Cameron, <laughs> who. Uh, you know, anything Titanic, he jumps on. Yeah, He's trying to get some movement it. going to to get money together to keep the collection of stuff that has been brought up together. Wow. That's pretty crazy. So, so wait, he's he's uh, is, does he want to raise it or does he just want to bring like uh, bring? Well, up they've already the uh, salvaged and plates and spoons and right, yeah. different things. So he wants to keep that collection together instead of being sold off piecemeal. Sure. Yeah. You know what I heard about the Titanic? I heard that Levi Strauss, the ge- the denim jeans guy, Levi's. Mm-hmm. was uh, on the Titanic, died on the Titanic, and there was a big shipment of Levi's on there that are all underneath the sea. So maybe maybe, uh, maybe Wait, somebody get sh- a bunch of vintage Levi's, they could sell it on Etsy. They went ahead and did that, uh, what do you call it? It's not an excavation. What do you call it on a, uh, on a underwater? Like an uh, expedition? A salvage? A salvage? Salvage operation, I guess. I'm not sure. But that would work outside of the water too, right? Well, maybe, maybe. Uh, who says it has to be different, right? It okay, wait. That's Levi right. Strauss Titanic. I'm looking this up. You're right looking now. this up. You're fact checking. Fact checking. I love the here. Titanic conspiracies. 
That's like a fun what, little what, uh, what's, rabbit what's hole. What's one of the conspiracies? What's the main Titanic conspiracy? So one of the theories goes that uh, the Olympia was damaged, so they dry docked it and the Titanic at the same time, switched the propellers, and the serial number that is supposed to be at the bottom of the ocean is actually the other. Really? Because you can see the serial number on some pictures uh, of the propeller sticking out of the silt. So, uh, so th- I mean, could it be a situation where they just got them mixed up when they put the wrong, they put the wrong label on the wrong boat? <laughs> aren't they the same? Are they are they identical or are they different in terms of their? They're design? slightly different, and that's another okay. uh, element of the conspiracy. Is that if you look at the placement of the windows, there's some differences between the two ships, and the one at the bottom of the ocean matches what they say is the Olympia. Hmm. Have you so, have you heard the well, whole whole thing about the that one book that like supposedly uh, um, predicted the sinking? It's like a fiction novel. Uh, it's no, it's really I have bizarre. Not. It's it's like it's about a ship called Titan, and it, it the the similarities are really bizarre. Like really? just like the guy wrote the book like like. Ten to twenty years before the actual accident. Well, life imitates art, right? Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a big fan of it. Speaking of conspiracy theories, um, we're going to have um, my friend Jason Jaggard on a little later. Um, he is a an executive coach, an off uh, an executive coach, an author, a speaker, and I don't. I'm going to try. I'm going to see if he'll talk about it. But the first time I ever met him. He was telling me about a conspiracy about Michael Jackson still being alive, and it's very convincing. So stay tuned for that. Weird, wild stuff. I got one more thing. All right, go ahead. Okay, so before they found the ship where it sank, because they they didn't know where it was for, you know, years, uh, a book came out called Raise the Titanic by Clive Cussler. Clive Cussler, yeah. Yeah, and it's basically, you know, romance novels for Uh, guys. Dirk Pitt novel, right? That's right. You yeah. know, you know, he's like, the, Clive he's like the Jack Ryan of my dad was a huge Clive Cussler guy, you know, my, uh, and and still is in a way. But you know. my mom was a big uh, Danielle Steele fan, and she had a book that was set on the Titanic. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm let's, sure it had hey, a very different you know plot. What? Let's move this back to Clive Cussler because back Danielle Steele has no place on the Gentleman's Scofflaw podcast. <laughs> so for years, they didn't know where the ship was uh, found on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. So this book comes out, and you know, race the Titanic, obviously. It's about uh, raising the Titanic, so whatever happens they know, there. They didn't know and it had split at that point, right? They well, there were there was eyewitness accounts, but you know, if you watch some of the old movies, the ship stays intact. There, it was yeah. a big controversy. Uh, <laughs> Those people so are crazy. They don't know what they're out, talking about. People started talking about it again, and they were saying, "Yeah, let's let's actually try to find it." And that's what actually encouraged people to really start looking, which led to Bob Ballard from the Oceanographic Institute actually finding it. Um, it's funny how topical this is, uh, talking about the Titanic. What year was that? 1912. 1912. And yeah. in the movie Titanic, you see that girl's tatas. That's true. <laughs> so that's another interesting... My dad used to edit videotapes. Um, like, <laughs> like he used to like... When like when there was a sex scene or something, he would he would like take it out of the movie. It was He was a master at it. How, Only and thing, you wouldn't notice? Like the, there wouldn't oh, be no, like hard you cuts? You totally notice. You totally notice. It would go to fuzzy static. It must have looked like, like the sex scenes the, from the, the room. You, you, 
<laughs> you would have to you would have to fast forward through the fuzzy static. So like in James Bond movies, all of a sudden it would be like, you know, him sweet talking a girl and then it would just go to like you know, uh, and then him smoking a cigarette in bed afterwards. <laughs> you must have been wondering where this but, um, tape was with all the good parts. But there was, uh, yeah, Titanic was one of those movies. But um, he accidentally left in the 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 painting, like the the actual, like they pull the painting out of the safe or something, and it's like you know clearly yeah. what it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, my mom was not very happy. Let's put it that way. It's, it's, you know. I think it was, yeah, it was accidental, but you know, whatever. <laughs> like, oh man, I forgot about the whatever. representation later in the movie <laughs> in the drawing. And I bet you hung on to that image for years. Yeah, All right. right. Let's go to a little bit of listener mail. All right, this is the part of the show where uh, you interact with us and we interact with you. Um, we read feedback from our listeners um, where you could interact with us on social media. Um, on every social media platform, we are at Gent Scofflaw. You could send us an email at gentlemanscofflaw at gmail.com or you can leave us listener voicemail at man 81 scoff now um and all the here's the big thing too i'm i'm forgetting the main thing is the itunes reviews um the itunes reviews not only help uh support the show and improve our ranking in searches but also all of these interactions we use as prompts for uh, for you know a little uh, you know a little banter on the show, so it's a way that you could help give us some stuff to talk about, and you can get featured on the show. So uh, let's go to this first one here, uh, John. You read this one uh, from Instagram. All right, this one's from Crab Pig. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy the Gentleman Scofflaw cast with a lighthearted but educational premise brought to our ears by three vastly unique personalities. Keep it up, thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He's got a little uh, crab pig avatar. Little crab pig avatar. Up. It's a little yeah. hybrid of a unique. crab and a pig right there. That's, that's much, exactly what it looks like. Much, yeah, much cuter than you imagine a crab, big t- uh, crab pig to be. Yeah, what I want to know is a crab and a pig, I feel like are two things that at some point someone in history looked at and said, I should eat that, and I don't I don't get it. <laughs> oh, the pig I totally get. The pig, but the pigs are, whenever you look at pigs, they're covered in flies, they're disgusting, they're like, you wouldn't think well, like, think about, oh, that, that, that looks appetizing. Think of a time, though, it's... You're you're covered in flies and disgusting. So are you really uh, anyone to judge? I don't know. I read true. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. When people get hungry, they make some drastic <laughs> decisions. They'll eat anything. And I don't think a crab or yeah. a pig is such a just well, well like look at Castaway. Yeah. The whole crab thing, right? Well, at least yeah. a, a crab is a lot of work to get to, though. If you're honest, like even even if, if you like crab, beach, though, you got to be in the mood for it because you're going to be doing well, some. It's yeah. like craft time. All right, I'm going to go to this next little email here from Christian Levesque. He's written uh, to the show before, and he said. When I went to this bathroom at the Citadel Outlets in Commerce, California, I couldn't help but think of the podcast with its reviews of local bathrooms. This is a nice shopping mall public bathroom. Clean, spacious, and private. This is the mall bathroom, not one of the retail stores. I snapped the pic and sent it to you to prove how nice it was. Uh, Don't mind the guy at the urinal. 
I didn't want to risk other guys coming in and making it look less spacious uh, than when it's nearly empty like this. That guy that you're in, and, by the way, is rocking those cargo shorts. <laughs> cargo shorts. He's, he looks like he's wearing Crocs, cargo shorts, and he's hunched over. Um, and it's it does look like a nice bathroom. Thank sh- you, Christian. I don't know that I need to review this bathroom, though. This was like a perfect uh, That's the review. Yeah, bathroom review. That's the review. If you so, it, here's here's this reminds me of the bathroom at the Grove, but you you should definitely we should check out the bath. You can't believe I'm saying this. Road trip. We should check out the yeah. We should podcast live from the bathroom at the Grove. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, the bathroom at the Grove is pretty special, and I think it's because it's like part of a hotel or something. Um, but it's one of those, you know, where the, the, the towels are, you know, not disposable. You, oh, you're not. I always dispose those anyway. Are you are, like, so in other words, if somebody gives you like a fabric towel, you throw it in the if trash. If somebody gives me a fabric towel, I take it and I go into the stall and then I give it back to the guy and see what he says. Um, <laughs> well that's, played. Well that's, played, Sir Crowder. Well played. You know, that's my way of saying. I'm not going to tip you. I mean, oh my God. I don't need this no, service. There's, there's nothing more off putting. It used to be like a, a semi classy thing to have a guy, uh, uh, whatever, uh, the attendant in the restroom. But um, now it's just an indication of not a good place to be. Well, thank you guys for uh, the messages you leave us on social media. We'll read some more next episode. But again, if you want to interact with us, Please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or interact with us on any one of those social media platforms, and you'll get featured on the show. All right, let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll be back with Jason Jaggard. Now, this segment is brought to you by Audible.com. And for you, the listeners of the Gentleman's Call Flop podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Um, Now, they're a great website, and if you like listening to podcasts, you'd like listening to audiobooks. Um, And again, with this free trial, you can download any title you would like. Um, I would recommend If at Birth You Don't Succeed, written by my good friend and friend of the show, Zach Anner. Um, He's a hilarious guy, and he reads his own audiobook, which is rare. So that's a bonus. So download his book today. He's a guest of the show. You can listen to his book for free. Now, audiobooks are great. Um, They work just like, you know, listening to a podcast. If you like listening to podcasts, you like listening to audiobooks. Well, you're sitting there, you know, uh, cooking dinner or uh, you're, you know, at work, uh, you know, typing some emails. Or maybe you're you're stuck in LA traffic like I am, or maybe you're you know it's the weekend and you're just uh, sitting back and uh, doing some uh, Pinterest crafts uh, that you've always wanted to do that you've had there on your board just waiting for you to to, to tackle. Uh, you might as well listen to an audiobook while doing that. And and people don't know that you, you killed two birds with one stone. You made an amazing Pinterest craft, and you listen to the book. Now, I don't know which of our listeners are making Pinterest crafts, but um, there are some pretty manly crafts you can do on Pinterest. So go to audibletrial.com slash gentscofflaw to get your free audiobook download and your free 30-day trial today. You won't regret it. 
All right, I'm very excited to have this guest, uh, Jason Jaggard. He is an author, speaker, and um, I guess an executive uh, coach is, is what he likes. What, what do you like to go by, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I appreciate being thrown under the bus right away. Because <laughs> well, we, we had, you know, obviously before we were rolling, we had that conversation around, yeah. <laughs> are you a life coach? And he, the only reason why I don't like that is because there's actually kind of a, a renaissance isn't the right word because I don't think it was ever a thing, but uh, there, there's a, re- a surgence of people getting into this kind of work. Yeah. And so life coaches are really a dime a dozen. The guy who sold me my, my Apple watch, was a life coach. <laughs> if, I, if I had a dollar for every time I've been I've been driven to the airport by a life coach, uh, <laughs> via, via Uber or Lyft, and I don't want to be snotty about it, but it's like uh, they realize they got. If you're an Uber driver and you're a life coach, don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> Handing out your business cards as a, as a, and give me a compliment on uh, Uber. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a it's a weird. Uh, and it's, it, you get in the car and I'm I'm gonna fly to like Australia to spend a couple of days with a client and and while I'm going there, they're like, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an executive coach. It's kind of what I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to the airport for work, and they go, oh, that's cool. That's what I do too. And I said, awesome. Like, so when are you going to Australia? <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a little and that's probably not a cool response i don't say that usually i'm like oh that's awesome how does that work for you yeah, yeah. and that's great and everything <laughs> like that but uh what i'm thinking is uh if you if you spent a little less time driving cars and a little more time building your practice maybe you wouldn't have to drive cars anymore that's true i i always think it's funny that when you see like people on facebook or twitter that say that says life coach on their on their profile and they're like in their early 20s i'm like how how much co- like life experience do you have to coach somebody else on theirs yeah you know what and that's that's a great insight i think to not push back on that generally that's true and if that's why if i was if i was telling someone how to live their life uh, you'd be totally right. Bad life coaches tell you what to do. Yeah. That's not a life coach. That's a parent. Yeah. You know, like it's <laughs> a different, it's a different thing. Um, it, with executive coach, well, one is executive. Uh, this, that's the other thing too, is people will ask what you do and I'll say, I'm an executive coach. And they say, Oh really? What is that? And it's like, well, I coach executives. <laughs> like, what <are> you? <laughs> it's not like a mystery. If you asked me what I did for a living and I said I was a kindergarten teacher, you wouldn't say, oh, really, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you teach kindergartners. Got yeah. it. So I coach executives. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like a, I'm not trying to dress it up to make it sound like what it actually, you know, more than what it is. Yeah. What I, for, like today I was on the phone with executives and I was coaching them. So <laughs> I'm an executive coach. Ooh. That's how... That's well, how that works. Well, maybe and, and, oh, go ahead. Sorry, oh, go ahead. I say maybe explain what that what that means. Like, how, how do you coach an executive? How does one coach? You wear a whistle. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drop and give me fifty. Uh, yeah. So the easy way to describe it, and most life coaches, I think, shouldn't call themselves life coaches yeah. because it, it's a misnomer. Not even the guy driving the Uber car probably is good at what he does. Yeah. He just has a title that I think I don't think really explains what he does. So I don't I don't know what you should do with your life. I don't know what choices you should make. I'm not a consultant. You know that's that's we make a distinction in our work between coaching and consulting. Consultants you hire because you know like there's some guy out there who's got a really amazing podcast. You're going to hire him to do consulting so he can help you be amazing in your podcast. No, a coach isn't necessarily good at what you do. I'm, I'm coaching the president of one of the largest insurance companies on the East Coast. I'm coaching dot-com startups here in Silicon Beach. I'm coaching 
hundred million dollar companies in the Midwest that are doing for profit education. I don't have experience doing any of those things. Yeah. And I don't know what they should do. What I'm what I get paid to do and what I'm trained professionally to do is to help people engineer their interior world or their cultural world if they're leading teams on how to, how to get performance out of themselves and their teams, their companies that they've never gotten before. So I'm like a cultural expert or a self-leadership expert versus a, a, I don't, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to help you get along with your dad, you know, or I don't know how to help you lose 40 pounds. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do those things. What I do know is how to hold space to where you can design an interior world where you get, you will get those results if that's what you want. Oh, wow. Cool. That's really cool. Um, It's fun. Yeah. It's fascinating to me anyway. Yeah. Um, I, when I first met you, I just, I'm just going to go off on this little tangent here <laughs> because I still think about it and I tell people and I, I don't think I could communicate it as well as you did. When I first met you, it was at a Super Bowl party like uh-huh. two or three years ago. And uh, we somehow got into this discussion about this Michael Jackson conspiracy that yes. he was still alive. And you had a very convincing argument and I spent hours going down the wormhole of the internet um, looking into this stuff and it seemed like it checked out to me. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I tell you what, and Jordan, you're, I feel like you're this way. You want to always have a few ridiculous stories in your pocket for when you're meeting new people. Yeah. <laughs> the Michael Jackson story is one of my like, I'm going so I'm going camping this weekend with some buddies in Yosemite and there's yeah. going to be people that I never met. And I'm I'm hoping that I get asked about if Michael Jackson is alive. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a particularly interesting or charismatic person, but if I tell that story, you're gonna think that I'm like really interesting. <laughs> it's like it's like my it's my lazy way in to, to making sense. That's a good story. <laughs> so, so you, you want me to tell it? Is yeah, that the deal? I mean, okay, so like. People would say, "Oh, M- Michael Jackson's still alive." That's bullcrap. Why do you? Why? Why is Michael Jackson still alive? What? Yeah, well, how first, do you know? <laughs> the first thing I would say is, I totally hear you. And if I were you, I would think the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and and this is and this is a story. So I was hanging out with a buddy of mine. He's a uh, he's a bodyguard, and he 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 was a bodyguard for Denzel Washington. He was a bodyguard for uh, Tupac, which. Uh, obviously didn't go very well, um, but he, like, he was, he, he, he's very good at what he does. He's a very high end guy, uh, in terms of professional, like he does, he does, he's very, very good. At what he does. So I'm hanging out with him and the, the, you gotta, the ethnicity of this conversation, I think makes it more enjoyable for people. So you gotta imagine I'm like mega white, like <laughs> ghost white. Like I look like powder from the movie powder. So like, <laughs> It's, I'm very, very white, and and I'm hanging out with this guy who is his African American gentleman, and we're having dinner at my my other buddy's house, who's African American, and then then we have a guest who's in town, who's kind of like a life coach type person from Northern California. She's from Oakland, and I call her the Oracle, so she's also African American. So <laughs> it's essentially Whitey on the Moon hanging out with like three wonderfully culturally African-American people. And we're just, we're having a, a great time and I feel like I'm lucky to be there. So, so he says, uh, Michael Jackson's, and he was Michael Jackson's bodyguard as well. Um, and he goes, Michael Jackson is still alive. And I'm like, that's dumb. Like that's the dumbest, <laughs> that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he looks at me and he goes, what very confidently he goes, what percent do you think, or what, what percent, how sure are you? What percent, how sure are you that Michael Jackson is still alive? Yeah. 
or still dead. Sorry, it's, it's, let me. I'm fucking this up. Pardon my French. All right, so, <laughs> it's all right. so if you, were, you probably have to bleep that out. So, uh, so I was like, uh, he, "What percent uh, are you sure that Michael Jackson's dead?" Yeah. And if anybody asks you that question, you can't say a hundred percent. No, you can't. You can't. You're not you're the not coroner. Say, yeah, exactly. He wouldn't be asking. He's like he's super confident. So you're like ninety-eight uh, <laughs> percent. You know, like pretty. Sh- I was would have said a hundred percent. Tell him talking to you right now. <laughs> and so he begins to tell me this story, and I'll do it as quickly as I can. Uh, you can't fire. You draw this out a long time, but essentially, he tells me a story where first uh, first thing is. Uh, Michael Jackson was a practical joker historically. He would oftentimes put prosthetics on and go to Disneyland, be in play site. Like yeah, he was known for doing these elaborate hoax. Yeah. Uh, he was really good friends with uh, with David Blaine, and and he had a tattoo of David Blaine on his body. Like they were really really close, and so he had the means to pull off some kind of mega charade. Okay. Uh, the other part of this is he had a buddy named Dave Dave and. Jordan, I don't know if you Google Dave Dave. You yeah. can Google Dave Dave. Yeah. Dave is, is Michael Jackson's buddy who also had like a disfigurement experience. And so he wrapped his face up as well. You can only see his eyes. He had blue eyes. And Michael, you know, I think they had this connection because they both covered their eyes. They're both very insecure about their looks and their face. And so they're were, they were really good friends. So at the funeral, which I remember when the funeral happened, I was living downtown at the time and uh, I was looking out the window watching the helicopters hover around, I think it was Staples Center where the funeral was, and then you could look on TV and see uh, you know, the, the, the helicopters shooting the aerial shots of the Staples Center. For all. It's a mega event. Yeah. And yeah. in the front row of the funeral, uh, everything was planned. Everything was to a T. Everything was very controlled. And in the front row, um, I'm going to show you how to tell the story right. In the front row, there was like Macaulay Culkin, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, my buddy, uh, who who is former bodyguard of Michael Jackson, and then there was and then uh, that was a full row. At the last second, someone brought up like an extra chair and set it next to, I believe, Elizabeth Taylor. And I think you can watch some of this on online. You can like Google the oh, wow. the like a crappy Jerry rigged um, uh, footage of this stuff. So everyone was set to speak. At the last second, uh, Dave Dave shows up, and they make a spot for Dave Dave. Dave Dave's all wrapped up. You know, he's wearing a suit, kind of thing. Dave Dave was was um, probably uh, like over six feet tall. Michael Jackson was a, was a smaller guy. And that's relevant information later. So, so Dave Dave, in the middle of the funeral, gets up to go speak. Now, this is all coordinated. So like, what is Dave Dave doing there? Why did they put an extra seat for him? Why is he speaking? And he gets up to speak, and he opens up his remarks, and he starts to talk. And as he's talking, people start murmuring, and they say, that, that sounds a lot like Michael. Yeah. Like, Dave Dave sounds like Michael. And he's up there going like, I just want to thank everybody for you know coming to and he gets halfway through the sentence he like he leaves his notes and he gets halfway through the coming to my funeral and then he catches himself and he goes coming to michael's funeral like he misspoke right <laughs> oh god he's doing this thing afterwards the funeral is done my buddy uh who had who had uh never met dave dave bumps into dave 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 looks at him and the way this, this is the way my buddy tells the story dave dave looks at him and goes hey man it's good to see you Thanks for coming to my funeral or whatever. Like, like, kind of thing, like, like, recognized him, even though, even though my buddy never knew Dave. Dave, 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 or my buddy puts his hand on Dave, Dave's shoulder, like give like a condolence hug, and he feels Dave, Dave's shoulders, and it's like shoulder pads, like to make him look taller. And he looks into Dave, Dave's eyes, and Dave, Dave's eyes are brown, not blue. Oh, right. So this is kind of, a, and it's just a passing moment, and things are happening and moving. You don't think about it. You know, it's just you think about it later, kind of thing. Yeah. So. 
So there's that piece. The other piece is uh, the body. The, what I've heard is there was never really an official autopsy on MJ's body. And the, the and you also got to ask yourself, why was Michael Jackson paying a physician with a criminal record to work for him? That's weird. Unless that guy was going to go to jail for, he's gonna, I mean, that guy's in white collar jail for like 18 months and then he's going to go home a big winner. He's going to write a book someday. <laughs> Things are going to be fine. Yeah. Right. And, and then you got the other thing is like, well, if it was, if they did like, if it wasn't really him who died, where'd they get the body? And my buddy's like, Jason, you got to understand people loved Michael Jackson. You find, Oh, I heard they did a partial autopsy and they found like his lungs were caked in tar as if he were a smoker and Michael Jackson never smoked. Oh, wow. Right. So their theory is that there's somebody they found who had like lymphoma or some kind of chronic lung disease from smoking or whatever, who was a Michael Jackson fan and they were willing to give their lives for Michael Jackson to have his life back kind of a thing. So that's like <laughs> part of it. Now, my favorite part about that one is after, of course, Michael Jackson died, his, his estate, he was like $22 million in debt. After he died, everyone went out and bought his music, and he was like flush with twenty-two million dollars cash. Oh, so wow. like his his estate came out a big winner after him passing away. Yeah, and then the, the final piece, which I think is wild, is he was getting ready to do this global tour, right? He was getting ready to do like a forty-city tour all over the world. Yeah, and they uh, at the last second he dropped the tour from fifty shows to like twelve shows, and then what he did was he hired. Uh, like he, he spent like a million dollars a day on camera equipment filming all the rehearsals, which mm -hmm. they, after his death, they then turned into a documentary. And, and the thing is, is everyone knew that Michael Jackson wanted out. Everybody mm -hmm. knew he was done. He hated the fame. He hated the publicity. He was a boy star. He had all these issues. He wanted out. And so, you know, obviously after he died, he was flush with cash and he had this, he had all this footage for this documentary. And of course, what was the documentary called? You remember? Uh, this is it. Yeah, this is it. That's this, right. This is it. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. out. It's I'm like... not doing this tour. This is all a charade. It's like Christian Bale and the prestige. Like, it's this is his Christopher Nolan opus. And for all we know, Michael Jackson is like on some island somewhere hanging out with Elvis Presley and. And Walt Disney's frozen head. Andy Kaufman. <laughs> That's crazy. I, the, the one thing, if I were to fake my death, uh, my death, and and come to my own funeral, I think I would be very careful not to say thank you for coming to my funeral. <laughs> I mean, that like either Michael Jackson. If if there's if this conspiracy is true, he just has some serious ego problems to be constantly well, mentioning that. Think about who you're talking about, first of all. I'll do oh, respect yeah. to the king of pop. <laughs> He's but, a little, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there are probably massive problems with this. So the guy finishes the story and he goes, so now what percent are you sure that he's he's dead? And I'm like, I could go 50-50. <laughs> I could go oh, I could go either way. And here's the thing. I believe, I believe Michael Jackson's alive. In a lot of ways, I look at my theism. Like yeah. it's not because you can prove it's true one way or the other, but I think life's just more interesting if it is true. Yeah, it is. And uh, like I've heard you say too, like it's a uh, it's a conspiracy that's like kind of fun rather than like it's you know a conspiracy harmless. about your your government you know spying on you. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like or like yeah, like our own government conspired to blow up buildings and kill thousands of people on nine eleven. Like I don't want to live in that kind of world, even yeah. if it is true. And I'm, you know, I don't want to be like a head ostrich with a head in the sand or whatever. But with this, with this conspiracy, it's like, come on, wouldn't you prefer, wouldn't you prefer for Michael Jackson to be having a second life somewhere, like you know, rubbing, 
rubbing oil on himself and like getting a tan, hanging out with Bobo. You know, like this, <laughs> that, that just sounds great to me. Think about God Michael bless Jackson. the guy. Like I hope he's out there somewhere. Michael, if you're listening, <laughs> you, you stay doing you, buddy. You just keep you just keep doing your thing. Good for you. <laughs> I, I remember too, like reading something online about how the day he died, like his whole family went camping or something. Yeah, so was another piece to it. I was trying to show yeah. the story. Oh, okay, I, I wasn't camping. sure. It's weird well, and, stuff. Yeah, it's weird. And the uh, the videotape of the funeral disappeared. Really? How does that disappear? There's an official videotape of the funeral that was given to Jermaine. And some, they broke into Jermaine's house and it was stolen. Really? Wow. Yeah, so there's wow. all this kind of weird stuff. Yeah, and there's... And just, oh, go ahead. Sorry. There's no, a little bit of delay. <laughs> I was going to say there's these weird... Like, if you look at videos on YouTube, there are people that have made, like, a mashup of Dave Dave and Michael Jackson. <laughs> and it's like... And, and then they cut it together with this music video where he was, like, in a fat suit and all this crazy makeup, and he kind of looks a little bit like like a hybrid between Michael Jackson was, and Dave Dave. Was Dave Dave ever on a... Uh, like a, Was he on, like, Larry King or something? Yeah, at I one think, point? You I think, think so. I saw he, that video, and it's very peculiar. It's weird. It's, yeah. It's very Andy Kaufman-esque. It is. is. In my experience, my limited experience with people who run in that world, and this is something my buddy confirmed, it's through the looking glass. Uh, Even like he was was describing um, certain parts of uh, African-American Hollywood aristocracy where, you know, you go, you live in LA for a long time. If you've been around for a long time, you don't necessarily trust LAPD, you went through the riots, you went through Rodney King. Yeah. And so a lot yeah. of these people have like secret passages, what passageways in their houses, like out in case like there were ever problems and LAPD turned on them. You know, like it's, it is a, you know, I don't have secret passageways out of my place. It's, it's a, <laughs> Speak for yourself. It's a different, they live in a different world because they have both the means and the, it's not paranoia if you're not wrong. You know, it's just kind yeah. of a weird so we're that whole world is a very interesting world, and you don't you can't blame them because they're not always wrong. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's it's a, that's probably the biggest tangent we've ever gone on. <laughs> <laughs> we went from executive coach to Michael Jackson conspiracy, it's, but I love it. It's funny too because I wrote up the show notes. I I wrote a bunch of like serious questions about coaching, okay? and then I inserted. Just the question is Michael Jackson still alive and would sk- and would hope you would skate over because I wasn't sure if you wanted to that talk was, about that, that was to test him it to was, see was, if he was actually reading a little these. trolling. <laughs> you, you can you can edit it out especially when I like drop bomb that's always fun. <laughs> that's all right. Um, well, and you're I mean you're a former pastor too, aren't you? I mean yeah that- yeah I was a pastor for like seven years. Let's, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, I mean, about your work and, and, and about Spark Good and what, and you know, what you do, what your, what your kind of mission is with what you do in life. Yeah, well, the, so Spark Good is a little bit, so I was, I was, so I was a pastor of this amazing faith community in Los Angeles. I, I'm crazy about it still. This is a really great creative group of people and, uh, and uh, was going to actually plant, I was transitioning off of paid staff to plant a church. Uh, which I was really excited about a, a new church in Los Angeles, and um, and for a variety of reasons that ended up not being a good idea, and so I needed to create something on the fly. I was I still wanted to transition off of paid staff, but I didn't want to. Uh, I wasn't going to start a church anymore, and so um, I, I created this thing called Spark Good, and that that has become in some ways like the JV team of my life in a really beautiful way. Like it's the it's a place where I can 
do experiments. It's like an incubator for a lot of my ideas. So we're getting ready to launch a new product through SparkGood uh, in August, and it's for free, and it's designed to help uh, people cultivate the habits for extraordinary friendships. And that's there's no business model there. It's just it, for a while it was my lifeboat from one job, uh, which was pastoring, to another job now, which is executive coaching. Yeah. And now, so now I'm the CEO of a coaching firm called Novus Global, and that's yeah. really where I spend ninety percent of my time okay. is with Novus Global. But SparkIt is this kind of fun little little brother company that a few of us work with and work for and develop things with, and and it's a lot of fun. And I've, I mean, I've heard you speak a few times and you, you talk a lot about how, um, we're meant to, to live extraordinary lives. And that's kind of a running theme. I've seen a lot of your talks and some of your blogs and stuff. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, sometimes I, I mean, I think of like being, we're both filmmakers, we're artists. It's very easy to, um, you know, come out to LA and, somehow get into a rut and realize you're not doing what you, you know, what you think your whole potential was when you came out here, what you're, what you're not using your talents. What would you suggest to someone that, uh, is kind of stuck in a rut and wants to take action to, to, you know, move towards their dreams and goals and, and doing good? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the short answer usually isn't very palatable. The, <laughs> <laughs> what? Which is? It? Well, I'll still give you the short answer. It's okay. the it's just only palatable for a lot of people. So usually when we come into trainings or we do work with companies, there's a quote that I'm going to give you now that we wait a couple hours before saying to build rapport and things like that yeah. because it's a quote that really offends people um, or can really offend people. Some people get it right away. Other people are really offended by it. Mm. And the quote is, "Your life works exactly the way you want it to." So mm. if you're in a rut. And we, we say that line to, not to condemn people or to throw it in their face. We say it to help people get curious about what they're actually wanting right now, not what they say they want, hmm. right? So if you're in a rut creatively, you're in a rut because you want to be in a rut. Being in a rut serves you somehow. Or another way of saying that is there's something else you want more than not being in a rut, hmm. right? So let's take like weight, for example. If someone wants yeah. to lose 100 pounds. If if everybody weighs what they want to weigh, generally speaking, unless you have some kind of extreme disorder or whatever. But even then, you can like pay $50,000. There's a, a gorgeous girl I met uh, recently, uh, not too recently, and um, she's from Australia. And I've got, I do work in Australia, and I've got some friends there. And there's their little sister. She's flying into town. I was drinks with friends. Like, hey, can you like hang out with my sister for like a night and just make sure she's, she gets to know the city a little bit. I was like, sure, that's no problem. So hang out with some friends. She walks up, this gorgeous girl, vivacious energy, all this kind of stuff. And we're making conversation. And I said, like, what's one of your greatest accomplishments in life? And she goes, yeah, I lost like 300 pounds. Wow. That's all. That's and I like said, all the backstreet boys. Yeah. All together. It's like, <laughs> And she, I thought it was a conversion issue. I thought she meant like kilograms or something. <laughs> well, that would be much more. You got out it? the chart. You were like, okay, yeah. wait, let's see. Yeah. So I got the conversion rate wrong. And I made a joke about it. And she goes, and she took out a, her phone and showed me a picture. And she wasn't kidding, man. She, uh, she lost a lot of weight. And the thing is, is she was simply willing to do what other people weren't willing to do. Uh, she dropped a lot of money on it. Uh, she did all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you should do that. I don't care how, how much people weigh. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, but she did what she was committed to 
having her body look a certain way, and she did what what it what it took in order to do that. And I think that's an example of extreme ownership. Is uh, if I was working with a group of artists who are saying, "Hey, we're not having the careers we want to have," I would say, first of all, no judgment. Like you're the you're unhappy with your career. I'm not unhappy with your career. I think you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Good for you. Uh, I would invite them though to get curious about what it is up until now that they are that they are committed to more than being successful. Hmm. And you start hold, and that's a question that's not necessarily meant to be answered. It's a question that's meant to create a space for inquiry yeah. where they can begin exploring ways that they're getting in their own way that they're not aware of. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, it almost makes them own kind of where they are. You know? Yep. That's, that's exactly it. There's actually a really, another great podcast. Um, oh shoot. Lewis Hose, the school of greatness. You guys ever I've, listen to him? I've I think I've it. seen that a lot on, on iTunes, but I haven't listened to it. If you Google school of greatness, and Quest Bars, it'll bring up an interview with a guy who's the CEO of Quest, and he has created a culture based on the type of work that we do. And and one of my favorite stories he tells is he go, they're a rapidly growing company, and so they're onboarding hundreds of people at a time. Like things, think about that. You know, like when you're hiring a crew for a film, maybe you know if it's a smaller film, it's going to be like 50, 60, maybe 100 people. They're onboarding constantly hundreds of people, not for a project, but for the company. So culture is really important. Yeah. Right. And so he, he goes. When he, he stands in front of all these young people, it's almost like they're becoming citizens, right? He stands in front of all these people and he says, I'm going to tell you a story. If the story doesn't make sense to you or rubs you the wrong way, then this isn't the company for you. It's no problem, but this isn't the company for you. And, he, and the story he tells is, imagine there's a, uh, a woman who lives in England who has four kids and she goes to bed one night in her apartment. And that night, an asteroid falls out of the sky and blows the house to bits and kills everybody. He, and he asks this question. He goes, yeah. who's responsible for that? And everyone kind of mulls around and talks and and uh, just said, like, oh, we'll play the game with you guys. So, like, what, what would you, how would you answer that question? Like, who's responsible? Hmm. I would say no one. Yeah. 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 That's asteroid. a pretty classic answer. Yeah, sorry. Say that again. So, the asteroid. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the asteroid's fault. It's like, Bruce Even the insurance companies have, like, an act of God clause. Yeah. You know, like, it's God's fault. Can we blame NASA? <laughs> we can't. Yeah, or Al Gore, maybe. I don't know who else we want to like. Uh, you know, blame Obama, maybe. Thanks, Obama. Thanks, right? Obama. Yeah. So there, there's all these things, and people talk about it. And some people say, well, you know, like the, the lady chose to live there. She could have chosen to live someplace else, so maybe it's her fault, that kind of thing. And then he looks in front of the group, and he says with a straight face, it's my responsibility. It's my fault. And it's kind of quiet. And he goes, because I chose not to study... Uh, astronomy. I chose not to uh, look at that part of the sky. I chose not to warn that lady. Like I chose those things, and it's, it's a radical ownership model. Wow. And most people, uh, their shame complex is so huge they, that they don't like taking responsibility for things like that because then they feel guilty or whatever. And he doesn't have a problem with shame, but he isn't going to lie and say that he couldn't have made different choices in his in his life. And it's that radical ownership model that. And his and his company. Imagine having a company culture where any problem in the company, everyone says that's ha- that's happening because it's my responsibility. Yeah, 
And that's a powerful culture. It is. It's 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 actually, I feel like this day and age is kind of controversial because there's a lot of, everybody wants to blame everything. Or feel, there is, there's almost like this kind of, this um, almost like a trend of needing to be oppressed by, by something. Like everybody's an oppressed whatever, an oppressed blank now. And it's yep. like, well. Nobody, mm. nobody takes any responsibility for yeah. anything themselves yeah. at the same time. That's super like, insightful. Not part of the problem. Yeah, I agree, Jordan. I, and that's super insightful. And I, I think about this a lot. I think it's a victimized culture. Yeah. And in a victimized culture, whoever hurts the most wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and there's two parts to this. One, one is we have comedians who are afraid to go to college campuses because they're afraid of getting sued yeah. by offending somebody. So there, you have some free speech things. But then also what happens, and then it creates a race to the bottom. So now you have white males saying they're an oppressed people group, even though and, and you have stats like the highest rate of suicides that are increasing in this country are white males. I like have all this thing, and those things are all true. But yeah. like I don't, I'm not really interested in the victim narrative. I'm not really interested in, yeah. even though it's true that on average women actually make more money than men, and we have a pay gap. I get it. But on average, in major metropolitan areas in America, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, women on average make more money than men, yet men are still expected to pay for dates. Like, I don't want to have that conversation with a girl on a first date. Like, for, mm. I'm paying for dinner. Right? I, don't, <laughs> I don't want the victim narrative. Yeah. I want to transcend the victim narrative through empowerment. And uh, it's a very rare conversation. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's because it's easy. Yeah. yeah. It's the easiest uh, way to... Uh, disregard whatever you have done or didn't do. Yeah. It's easy. You know, it's interesting. It's easy. It feels good. It feels good to blame. Uh, It's pain. And we can take it away from like uh, race relations because that can be really sensitive for people sometimes. I mean, I went to Berkeley and spoke at uh, Cal Berkeley and gave a talk on empowerment and not blaming systems for being oppressed. And I quote Frederick Douglass who says, that uh, oppressors are only given power given to them by the oppressed, and yeah. they hated it. <laughs> they were <laughs> they were not happy with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and what I will say is, the guy who trained me to do my job, a guy named Dan Tacchini, he's a fascinating guy. He's like he's like Al Pacino. He's this Italian guy. Uh, did a lot of really bad things in the seventies. Probably belongs in jail. And and but he's he's a Picasso when it comes to training and the kind of work that we do. And he got tired of making money in the 80s, and he started doing this work with uh, prisoners and working with inmates. And so, you know, imagine going into a prison and saying to a bunch of guys in prison, you're in jail because you want to be. That's the only reason. <laughs> right? That doesn't go well. Does he have the guards with him at that point? Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> the glass between. Yeah. In their work, here's what's crazy. In their work, when they would work with prisoners, the recidivism rates would drop from 80% to 12%. Oh, really? Wow. Uh-huh. And it's because could look from a, uh, it sounds offensive. It sounds like you're being mean. Yeah. You're in jail because it's your fault. It sounds like that's not a nice thing to say to somebody, but he would say, we knew these guys weren't coming back to jail when they would look at us with a straight face and say, Dan, I'm in jail, not because of my race, ethnicity, uh, uh um, socioeconomic status, the gang or whatever. I'm in jail because I want to be. Yeah. And I think, uh, Ray Liotta's character said that in Goodfellas. <laughs> Did he? 
It's an empowered mindset. <laughs> well, we we've had a couple guys uh, on the podcast. Uh, my good friend Zach Anner, who's got cerebral palsy, and I mean he's taken it and turned it into the you know he's taken the odds. His book is called It's really funny title. If at birth you don't succeed. Yeah, and I saw he, that. I saw that on the podcast. He yeah, was great. Yeah, he's a great guy. But he's taken like what would some people would say would be kind of like a that could be used as a victimhood and turned it into you know something great and. And our, our friend Bobby Henline too, who was a burn victim yeah, in Iraq, yeah. he's a stand-up comic now and killing it. Like, I mean, be, be very. So when I see guys like that doing stuff, and like, uh, I'm just like, I can't. You know, I haven't cranked out you know a script in a couple of months. I'm like, I got to get off my ass. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, and that's that's a really that's well said too. I, it, the, and that comes back to a lot of thoughts are jumbling in my head right now. Like in terms of, uh, your life works the way you want it to. It is interesting to say to a person who's a filmmaker, Hey, what is it right now that you want more than success? Yeah. Cause there is something you want more than success, right? Success right now. Otherwise you'd have it. Yeah. Netflix way, reruns. Say it again. I said Netflix reruns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Game of Thrones. Uh, and it, it should be said, I think, uh, a empowered mindset is not something you can force on somebody. Yeah. You you have to invite them into it. I think that's a big I think conservatives who generally value an empowered mindset more than liberals, I don't totally love that statement, but generally yeah. I find that to be true. Um, the mistake that conservatives make is they try they judge people for not having it and they try to shove it down their throats. Yeah. Which I really is not conservative of them. No. You know, yeah. so I probably made all sorts of rookie mistakes when I went to Cal. And did not do it. If I can't. I can't leave Cal getting pissed at them for not liking what I said. If I'm committed to an ownership mindset. Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. yeah, you That's can't. Like, you can't turn the card around and be like, oh, now I'm being yeah. oppressed because of what I said. <laughs> exactly. It's like the comedian not getting the laugh and blaming the audience. Like, yeah. well, you're the, you're the effing comedian, dude. Like, you're, it's your job to make them laugh. Yeah. That's like Larry <laughs> David. <laughs> his old stand-up <laughs> comedy. They'd say yeah, he'd totally. get up and look at the crowd and then shake his head and jump, nope, and then walk off. <laughs> yeah. And, if, and, if that's, and by the way, that to me perfectly encapsulates the political discourse we have right now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You yeah. have people judging each other and then getting pissed when we don't listen to each other. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's I like, like- that, I mean, I I I try, especially in recent in recent years, I tr- I've tried to see things from both sides of of the aisle. Even though yeah. I could tend, I feel like it's funny because, like in L.A., I, I'm I'm probably I, I consider myself more center. Um, in probably in other parts of the country, I'd be considered more liberal, and some of that comes from my artistic kind of background and stuff. But then in yeah. LA, I'm considered like a right wing nut job just because I'm in the middle, <laughs> and, like, and nobody listens to each other. So yeah, and, I, and that's what I like. I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the next season of political discourse because I think we're reading a critical mass where we realize we can't protest our way into a better country. We can't we can't um, uh, condescend our way into a better country, and I'm really excited about a new generation of politicians. I actually get to do some work with some with some politicians, which is really which is really fun to be in some of those spaces. and And I really am encouraged by what I'm seeing yeah. in terms of a, a renewed value for bipartisanship, a renewed value for you know, like where where I see uh, a leader and uh, leaders of color on the coasts 
beginning to care about uh, the poor, uneducated white people in, in the South and Appalachian Mountains, you know, and it's it's a, it's, it's really beautiful yeah. to me. And they, and they know that by caring about the poor white folk in Appalachia, that that helps loosen the grip of the South, so that we can care, so that those people can care about poor uh, uh, people of color in Compton or whatever. Right? Yeah. It's just it's a it's a cool thing that's beginning to happen. I'm really encouraged by it. Well, I feel like as you could say what you want about like the last election, but if one if one thing came out of it, it's created a whole kind of I hate this word, but like sh- shift in the paradigm of what like where people are politically because like it's like oh well I used to think I fit in this, but I don't fit th- that now. Like that's really, you know, so it's like it's almost taking it and breaking it down and rebuilding it up. And I think maybe what we have might might be better. Who knows? <laughs> and by the way, that's what coaching is. Yeah. So, so coaching is holding space for a person to examine the systems in their life that don't work, that they don't necessarily see, and then to begin dismantling them and building new systems so that new things naturally grow. It's kind, of, it's kind of like gardening. Uh, you know, it's, it's you, you take out if you ever had an old garden where the soil is really arid and nothing's growing in it. It is coming and and throwing the old soil away, putting a new soil in, and then you can plant anything. And it's going to grow, and that's yeah. what we do. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know you're a busy guy and you've got places to be, but if people want to find Jason Jaggard, where can they go? You know, they, I mean, jasonjaggard.com is always the thing, but you can also just email me at work. It's just jason at novus, N-O-V-U-S dot global. And that's that's the firm. There's a bunch of coaches who work in the firm that we work together and it'd be great to hear from you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason. And we'll yeah. have to have you back on because I feel like we just scraped the surface. With this. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel bad that I burned so much time talking about Michael Jackson. I really hope that your oh. listeners at least enjoyed part of this. I, I, don't, know. I don't feel bad at all. And I'm going to list all those videos in the show notes so they can research <laughs> yeah, it for themselves. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Hey, it was good to see you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, Thanks, man. man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with the winner of the giveaway. This part of the show is brought to you by Phoenix Shaving, makers of the most excellent aftershaves, shaving soaps, and all things traditional man. One of my favorite products of theirs are their aftershaves. Phoenix Shaving intentionally blurs the lines between traditional aftershave and classic cologne. Each batch of aftershave cologne is created by using traditional perfuming methods, giving the wearer a high dose of quality skin food matched by the staying power of berry white. Now I tell you this stuff is amazing. It'll it'll make your skin feel great after a shave and the alum and menthol just removes all irritation and razor bumps. Um, they have classic barber scents and even more creative soap and aftershave fragrances. Like my favorite is the tombstone scent. It smells like leather, tobacco, and gunpowder. Pretty unique. So ditch those vials of chemicals you buy at the drugstore every month and grab some artisan soap and aftershaves from Phoenix Shaving. Go to gentlemanscofflaw.com slash shave to help support the show and get some fantastic manly grooming products. Phoenix Shaving. Shaving outside the box. All right. Um, that was a great interview with Jason. It was a great interview. I, I was very uh, engaged. Um, you yeah by both his conspiracy and his advice. And his I, I, advice. It's funny. I've been listening to a lot of like podcasts lately from various perspectives. And it, even though everybody has a different angle on things or, you know, whatever, 
you can always find kind of a, a solid through line. I think when, when somebody's genuinely trying to, you know, yeah. trying to do some good. Definitely. So I, I could definitely. And we could, we could talk with him for hours about other things. So we'll have to have him back on in the future. If he didn't think this was just a total waste of time. Um, he seemed to enjoy it. <laughs> he seemed to enjoy it. Please come back. <laughs> please, please. Give me, give me. I need, I need. Um, <laughs> points to whoever can, can give, us, give us that reference. Whoever knows what that reference is, uh, tweet it at us and we'll send if, you a free if, sticker. If you need another clue, don't hassle me. I'm local. All right. <laughs> um, let's announce the winner of the giveaway. Uh, John, let's get a drum roll. All right. And the winner of this week's giveaway is Witty McKitty on Instagram. What a unique name. Yeah. Thank you for uh, entering in the giveaway. And you will win a Phoenix aftershave and cologne, um, courtesy of our friends at Phoenix Shaving. Douglas Smythe, he's like the Walter White of uh, of, uh, <laughs> of uh, shaving soaps and fragrances. So much so that his neighbors are sort of suspicious of him because he has a cooler, <laughs> he has a cooler for a mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the, uh, the, the soap otherwise yeah, melts. Yeah, the soap otherwise melts. But yeah, so we'll send that out to you this week. Uh, make sure you send us a direct message with your actual name and... Uh, and uh, mailing address so we can get that out to you. Um, and if you guys are interested in uh, in ever getting some Phoenix shaving products yourself, you can go to gentlemanscofflot.com slash shave, um, and they have some wonderful um, fragrances, packages to get you started wet shaving. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time. Also, um, for those of you who don't know, we actually have a shop. We have a shop on our website, guys. Did you guys know this? No. Did you guys know we had a shop? No? Do we sell we chips? Have a shop. I found out like a week ago. We don't <laughs> sell chips, but we have uh, Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast t-shirts. We have Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast mugs. Which we I'm holding right now. Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast uh, buttons. We have Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast stickers. And uh, we have... This is this is the piece de resistance right here is the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast um, flask, which is really cool. I think it's the nicest thing we have. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, you want to you want to go personalized with your flask. Yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, when you introduce yourself as an alcoholic, yeah. you want to make an impression. You want to make an impression <laughs> and and show your uh, your podcast affiliation. Um, but yeah, you should check those out because everything you buy on there goes to support the show. Also, we have a Patreon page, which if you're interested in uh, you know supporting the show financially, uh, you could join and become uh, basically a producer of a Gentleman's Cough Law podcast. And we've got all these different cool things we're doing. Like we're doing, uh, you know, monthly hangouts. We're doing uh, another complete other podcast that is just going to be Scoff Law movie reviews. Um, And we've got tons of other like extras, like things that get cut out of the show that don't make it in the final cut, posting that stuff there. So if you want to dive in deeper, that's a way you could also support the show. John, you are a gentleman and a scofflaw, uh-huh, my friend. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Donovan, you are a gentleman and a scofflaw, my friend. And uh, right back at you. And you listeners, you are gentlemen and gentlewomen and scofflaws. Whoa, 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 whoa. Gentlemen and ladies. Uh, well, I wanted, proper... to say, I wanted to say it differently. Well, uh, women are... It sounds women, worse whatever. when you say it like that. Yeah, gentlewomen. Right, it right. sounds like a bunch of like, you know... Like you guys are always on my ass. All right, you guys have a great week. 
This has been the Gentleman's Scofflaw Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Visit us on the interwebs at gentlemanscofflaw.com. Captain says, his ice on the river, we ain't getting home if we don't break through. So damn cold, I can't help but shiver. Rise and shine, we got work to do. Hey! Shiver! Right.